Dane leading us in that. And next year, uh, beginning next week, we're going to start in Psalm 34. So if you want to get a head start, we're going to start in verse 1. Start working. And uh, thump, that's our, in, in that passage, it talks about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And why we memorize scripture, we think it is word be in us. It's not just something we give lip service to, not just something we talk about from time to time, but it's something that's in us. And so memorizing God's word is a great tool for that. I would encourage you to, uh, as you think about scripture memory, find somebody that will help keep you accountable. And one of the things that we do as a group of deacons is on um, once a month we have our deacon meeting and the guys kind of go around sharing what they've memorized. And so a little bit of accountability. So guess when I get real serious about working on my verse to make sure I know it for each month? Yeah, about two days before, right? And I'm thankful for that because we just need, sometimes we need that extra push and sometimes knowing that somebody's going to ask about it, it helps us to do what we want to do anyway. Well, at this time, the kids can be dismissed to Children's Church and the rest of, it, you, uh, rest of us will open our Bibles together to Romans chapter 12. And in Romans chapter 12, uh, that is where the passage we memorized and we're going to work through this whole passage this morning and in this context and the title of the message this morning is A Grace-Shaped Church. A Grace-Shaped Church. As we look at 2020, as we look, about, look at what's ahead of us and we look what God has done for us in the past, it is my desire that we would use Romans 12 to be a passage that we, as a lens that we look into the new year. That we would read this passage and be encouraged to live fully for Christ, to live fully for Christ as individuals, but then also as part of the body of Christ. That we would live fully for Him. Well, as we begin the passage, Dane read this. I've put more verses on the screen today than I normally do, and I did that because as we're working with our deaf ministry and the interpreter that's using it, they said when we read big blocks of Scripture, it's really helpful to have it on the screen so they don't have to interpret it all and gives them a little bit of a break. All right? So that's why you'll see a little more on the screen than normal because we're going through a whole chapter. But the reason why I don't like that is because it keeps you from looking at your Bible. All right? So look at your Bible as we go. So our first couple of verses say this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And that passage, the key part of that passage is in verse 1 where it says, I appeal to you, therefore. Right? And the therefore is a, is a Bible study marker for us. And we share this often, but as we're studying the scripture and we come to a therefore, what question do we need to ask? Right. What's the therefore, therefore? And the therefore is there because it's reminding us. Now, because of everything I've just said, all the things that I've already written, therefore, here are the implications of how that should impact you. And so what he's been talking about over these past 11 chapters has been largely our sin, has been then about God's salvation that he brings to us, our sanctification, how we change and grow in Christ, and then God's sovereignty in all of all this. That's where he's been, and now he says, therefore. And this therefore is a reminder that all that we're going to talk about is based on God's grace. It is based on God's grace. And we understand this therefore is here to remind us that we are to live as grace-shaped sacrifices. That grace is the foundation of our salvation. Right? Grace is the foundation. And I've 
They have a definition for you of grace by Jerry Bridges. Jerry Bridges is one of my favorite authors. He makes the Bible very practical. Read anything you can find of his. It's valuable. But he defines grace this way. Grace is God's favor. So God's goodness, God's kindness. It's God's favor through Christ. Okay, so there's a channel through which this grace comes. That grace is God's favor through Christ to people who deserve his wrath. And so people who deserve judgment and condemnation, rather than God just, just giving us that, even more than God just letting us off the hook, what he does for us instead is he adopts us, he brings us into his family, he makes us his children, he blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, he gives us grace. And as we understand grace, earlier in Romans, we've, been, we've, we've looked at what this grace is based on. And keep your place here in chapter 12 and turn back with me. And we're going to take a quick survey of Romans. We're going to begin in chapter 3 to understand why do we need this grace? What has God done to show us this grace? And then as we march through chapter 12, how should this grace be affecting us? So Romans chapter 3 and verse 11 describes our situation. At the end of verse 10, it says, As it is written, there is none, ri- none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And down in verse 19, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. And down in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As we read that summary of these first three chapters of Romans, we recognize that we are in a desperate situation, that we are not righteous, We're not seeking God. We're lost. We're sinners. We're helpless. And every excuse we have, it says in verse 11, that that these excuses that we have, that the law of God comes to shut our mouths to our own righteousness. Because what we often want to say is, well, I'm not that bad. I'm a pretty good person. And this stuff about God's wrath and condemnation, I mean, that's that's for the really bad people, but I'm a pretty good person until we examine ourselves next to God's law. And God's law says, don't lie. And we do a mental rerun of our minds, and it probably doesn't take very long to find some lies. Don't steal. Don't lust. All all these things that we're told in Scripture that we think that we're pretty good people when we compare ourselves to others, but when we look at God's Word and we understand what it says, that the law of God, it causes us to put our hand over our mouths and say, I have no excuse. What the Word of God is saying about other people, about them being sinners, it's saying about me. And because of that, we are all under this wrath. But God has done a work for us. And because of what God has done through Jesus Christ, it is going to unpack in chapter 4. We get to chapter 5. Turn to chapter 5, verse 1 for me. And we hear this great news, this condemnation that we had because we were unrighteous. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, That means I believe the gospel. God gives me the righteousness of Jesus. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. This hostility that existed between us and God, that Jesus has brought peace. Turn to chapter 8 with me. The good news continues. In chapter 8, it talks about those who are in Christ, those who believe the gospel. Chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are believers in Jesus, there's no condemnation, there's no punishment waiting us. That Jesus received all of it, the debt was paid, and we are free. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then we look down at the end of chapter 8, verse 38. In verse 38 it says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And chapter 8 begins saying there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It ends by saying there's no separation for those who are in Christ. Our salvation is secure. That, that, that our salvation that God has purchased with us, nothing is going to separate us from this. Sometimes, when I, this, this morning, I couldn't sleep last night, and so I'm up early, and this thought came to me as I'm just thinking through some of this, that, that, that oftentimes we hear this phrase, once saved, always saved. And I believe that's an accurate representation. If somebody truly believes the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're secure. Uh, but, but here I think it's a better idea. It's once saved, always amazed. That if I've been saved by the gospel, I'm always amazed by that gospel. I'm always amazed because what am I amazed at? The fact that I am way more sinful than I think. I'm way more sinful than I even want to understand. And there's a level that that can bring great condemnation and weight. But in the gospel, I am loved in Jesus more than I could ever dream. That's amazing. That when we are saved, that the gospel should amaze us. And that amazement is then what drives us to live according to God's truth. Well, as we continue in Romans chapter 10, in chapter 10, verse 8, And he's talking about the salvation that we've received. It says in verse 8, But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Verse 9, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what's it say? You will be saved. It's the hope of the gospel that we repent, we turn from our sins, we trust Jesus. Down in verse 13 it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this salvation that we have is a grace-shaped salvation, that God gives us His grace. And this grace-shaped salvation shapes us. The, the, The grace that saves us is also a grace that shapes us. That's what the therefore in chapter 12 is all about. Therefore, having received this grace, allow this grace to transform your life. The grace that shaves us should also shape us. And so we are to worship God with our whole lives. And that's chapter 12. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our whole lives are to be about worship, that we worship God, that our hands and our hearts, that we, this idea of being a living sacrifice, that my hands are open and my heart is open to whatever God desires. My hands are open and my heart is open to receive all that God wants from me. But my hands and my heart are also open to give to God whatever He wants from me. And this grace that opens me up, it opens me to receive from Him and to give freely to Him as a living sacrifice. And this living as a a living sacrifice is something then that transforms us. In verse 2 it says, Do not be conformed to this world, Don't be poured into the shape of the world, which is so easy, right? I mean, we just look around us and, I mean, we all have this bent that we want to be like somebody or we want somebody to like us and it's easy to be conformed. But it says to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And and what we recognize is that we are to be transformed by truth and love. Our thinking is changed. Why is our thinking changed? Because we recognize that apart from Jesus, I'm dead in my sin and I need his help and hope and I'm hopeless without it. But because of Jesus, I'm alive and I'm made new and my relationship with him has been restored. And so not only does God change my thinking, the gospel of Jesus Christ also changes my love. That I go from being all about loving me, I love me first, I love me most, to now it's about I love God. And I love Him first. I love Him most. I love Him increasingly. Why? Because of all that He has done for me. And as a result of that, I live as a living sacrifice. I am transformed. And this idea transformed, that many of you are familiar that the word transformed there is the word metamorphosis, where we get our word metamorphosis. And when we think about metamorphosis, what animal do we think of? Yeah, caterpillars and butterflies, right? How do caterpillars look? Beautiful, little, cuddly things, right? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're pretty ugly, right? I mean, they're fat and they scrunch around and how they walk is really weird. But then what happens, they're transformed, they're a metamorphosis. And what happens, that metamorphosis is a radical transformation, Right? I mean, they, they had these little scrawny legs and they had to squish everywhere they went. And now what do they do? They've got these wings and they can fly and they're beautiful. And listen, that's what God's calling us to as transformed people. That, that we once were caterpillars and, and the, what God does in us is he radically transforms us and he beautifully transforms us. And as we think about this transformation, that's what God wants to do in every one of us. He wants to change us so radically from the inside that our outside can't help but to change. That our love is no longer about loving me. My primary love is about God. And because I love Him, everything on the outside now changes. And it becomes beautiful. It becomes beautiful because what's being manifested are characteristics like love and joy and peace and patience and kind. All of these are being expressed And those are much more beautiful than selfishness and pride and arrogance. These beautiful characteristics. And God is seeking to transform us. He transforms us by His grace when we are saved, but then He continues to transform us as we apply the gospel to our everyday lives. 
listen, as we understand, he's telling us in this passage that we are to have these, be, these grace-shaped lives because of the grace that's been given to us. He continues to unfold how this works. Well, what does this look like? Well, let's look in verse 3. Verse 3 says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. He says, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, this clicker's not working, there we go. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes with generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And as we understand these verses, then verse 9 then we'll look at in just a moment. But in this passage, he's saying that this grace needs to not only shape us as sacrifices, but also should shape us to be servants. The verse says that we need to see ourselves accurately in verse 3. For the grace given, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Now, let's pause here. Do, do you find it easy to think more highly of yourself than you ought? Okay, a few of you are honest. Some of you are thinking, well, not me. I mean, the people around me, they do. I mean, they think way too highly of themselves. I mean, they think they are just like the bee's knees. I mean, they're just fantastic. But then we recognize, but, but I mean, I have an accurate assessment of myself. Right? And yet the reality is all of our view of ourselves are typically pretty skewed, right? We look in the mirror and we see somebody, well, okay, but, 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 but we realize spiritually, as we see this, as we're to think of ourselves, it says, with sober judgment. What is a sober judgment? That means we want to see ourselves the way God describes us. Well, how does he describe us? We, we, we could see three ideas of how God sees us. The first is that we are image bearers. That God has created us, first of all, as image bearers. That we are stamped with God's image. That's what makes you valuable. I mean, you realize that you are valuable to God. You are valuable to God because he has created you in his image. From the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb to the time at the end of your life that you are valuable to God because you are stamped with his image. You have value. Because we recognize this value that we have, that we're image bearers with great value, we also recognize as we look in the mirror of God's word that we recognize that we're sinners with great guilt. Image bearers with great value, but we're sinners with great guilt. And yet, because of the gospel that we've been talking about, that as believers, that we are believers with great hope. So the sober judgment is this. I'm an image bearer with great value. I'm a sinner with great guilt, and I am a believer with great hope. Great hope in the idea that I don't have to be, in 2020, who I was in 2019. There can be growth and change. Metamorphosis continue to take place, being transformed as I renew my mind, as I reflect on the love that God has given to me. And so I see myself accurately. But then I see myself accurately in the context of others. 
in the context of our passage, it is in the context of the local church that we serve and let grace shape us as we serve the church faithfully. And the passage talks about a whole variety of gifts. And it tells us that every one of us are a significant part of the body of Christ. Our bodies have different parts. I've got fingers, toes, nose, ears. I've, I've got a few hairs. I've got ears. I've got a mouth. We've got all of that. And we think about that and which parts are important. Well, they all are. Just in different ways, right? I mean, most of you, when you got up this morning, weren't thinking about your toes. But as soon as you stepped out of bed, you're glad your toes were there because without toes, you would fall down. Right? And sometimes we think, well, I'm not very significant. Well, your toes probably think that. I mean, you get up in the morning and, and you put socks on and put shoes on. You don't think about them at all. But they're important. And in the body of Christ that we have a variety of gifts, variety of opportunities, and we are to use them to serve the Lord. As we consider that, that we are to use our gifts to, to glorify God and build up others. In this passage, it talked about serving and teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, doing acts of mercy. I would ask you this morning, how are you, you using the gifts and abilities God's given you to strengthen and encourage the body of Christ? How are you, how are you serving at Eastside Baptist Church? Listen, in many ways, we should all have our fingerprints all over this place. I mean, sometimes our literal fingerprints, because we're cleaning stuff and we're painting stuff and we're running a vacuum and whatever needs done, washing windows, are little literal fingerprints. But then also the stamp of our participation in ministry and we're spending time with one another, that we're, we're involved in, in, in teaching a small group, that we're involved in, in, in helping out with pioneers, we're involved in praying for others, we're involved in writing notes to people and encourage them, we're involved by, by giving generously to the church, we're involved in a whole bunch of ways. And when God describes our responsibility that we are to be a people shaped by grace, when we're shaped by grace, we are giving not what others deserve, not what, what, what they should get from us, but we're giving what we've received from God. And what we've received from Him is grace. And grace is what He calls us to give to others. Well, He continues then down in verse 9. And verse 9 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but, ser- but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. As we think about how grace shapes us, that we recognize that grace shapes not only our service, but grace also calls us to love up, see ourselves accurately, serve the church faithfully, but also to love others genuinely. Not with masks, not playing games, but loving others. It says in our passage, it, 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 it says, do not be slothful in zeal. Right? And, and poor sloths, they're an animal that don't get a lot of respect. right? I mean, they just say, travel slow, and they want their food, and there's some food I want up there, but it's, I'm not in any hurry to get it. And so they, they just move like that, he's sloth, and you're like, man, come on. And as we think about what God's telling us, he says, don't be slothful in your service to the Lord. 
I'm burdened because oftentimes I think that's how people are a sloth. Well, I know there's stuff that needs to be done at the church, and I know there needs help, and I'm going to get there someday. And the rest of the church is saying, well, come on, let's get going. We've got stuff to do. But it says, do not be slothful. It says, but be fervent in spirit. If I would contrast these two animals, I'd think a sloth to the roadrunner. Right? What sounds the roadrunner make? Beep, right. I don't know if they really make that. That would be interesting to know what they really make. But they, they make this, this beep, beep. Because what's the roadrunner doing? He's moving. He, there are things to get done, places to go, things to do. Be fervent in spirit, not slothful in zeal. Why? Because God takes initiative to work in our lives, and we need to be people who are taking initiative to invest in the lives of others, to be serving our church. We're taking initiative. We're not just waiting and thinking, well, one day I'll get around to it. Listen, the New Year's getting ready to start. This would be a great time to put on your roadrunner shirt and let's get going and say beep beep let's go the god's calling us to serve him to serve him with passion with joy with a fervent spirit that we would love others genuinely that we would love others practically that we would love them practically it talks in our passage about about showing hospitality contributing to the needs of the saints that we would open our hands and we would open our hearts not just to god but to others. That we see needs around us and we'd be willing to meet them by opening our hands to help. That we'd be willing to open our homes and showing hospitality, being warm and loving towards other people. The challenge is the thing that often keeps us from this, from loving others practically and living with open hands and open hearts is because we start to think too highly of ourselves. And we're thinking, well, I wouldn't be very good at that or I don't have a very nice house, or every time they, it doesn't look good, or people, and blah, 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 and we have all these excuses that ultimately just focus on us and we have a wrong view of ourselves. But we recognize God's calling us to love others, to love them genuinely and to love them practically. That we do it fervently, with passion, as grace-shaped servants. As we continue in our passage in verse 14, it continues... And it says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who, rejo- who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be as haughty to associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight. It says, repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil. And I skip the slide. Uh, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. And what we recognize here is that we need to let grace not only define us as sacrifices, as servants, but grace also needs to define our suffering. Because that's the reality. We live in a fallen, broken world where there's lots of suffering. And we need to let grace shape that. The specific context of suffering in this passage is suffering at the hands of others, those who are persecuting you. And he says that we bless them, we don't curse them, we rejoice with those who rejoice, we weep, we live in harmony, not to be haughty, don't pay evil for evil, all of these things. We just simply summarize that is that we are called to love our enemies. That we are just simply to love our enemies. And why would we love our enemies? Because I'm living as a sacrifice. I'm living a grace-shaped life. 
but they don't deserve it. They don't deserve my love. They don't deserve my kindness. They don't deserve me to, if they're hungry, to be fed. They don't deserve any of that. And I would say, you're right. They don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. See, grace isn't giving others what they deserve. Grace is giving others what we have received. And what have we received? We have received love. We have received grace. How has God done that? He has manifested that through Christ. How do we engage others? In the very same way. We are to love our enemies as a living sacrifice. We work for their good. That we, we recognize that we're to live in harmony with others. That we work together in this. We don't pay people evil for evil. Which is interesting because what do the bumpers say when it talks about repaying evil for evil? The bumper stickers say, I don't get mad, I get even. Listen, that is an ungodly, wicked response. Especially for Christians. Especially for Christians. I'm going to get even. I'm going to give them what they deserve. But I'm going to receive all the goodness from God that I don't deserve. God is saying to us, listen, if our attitude is I don't get mad, I get even, in in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 18, it would question whether or not you're genuinely a believer. If you're unwilling to forgive, then you likely are not forgiven. Because once you've understood the magnitude of the grace that has been given to you and how much you have been forgiven, how can you not forgive? Matthew 18, significant passage. Check it out if you have doubts. Read that, study it. So love our enemies. Well, the passage then continues. It says, if possible which is a great conditional statement. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He goes on then in verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As we hear this idea of if possible, so far as depends upon you, that we are to pursue peace with everyone. As far as depends upon you. Which that means that there are people that we may not be able to live at peace with. But if we're not living at peace with them, it's not because we have closed the door. It's not because we've built the walls high. It's not because we've locked the door. If there is not peace, it is because they refuse to come. They refuse to welcome my desire for peace. That, it's, that my heart is where it needs to be. My heart is one of grace, and I'm wanting to demonstrate kindness to them. And I do that by, by feeding them when they're hungry. I give them something to drink when they're thirsty. I'm being kind and loving to my enemies. And it's interesting. It says, for by doing so, you heap burning coals on his head, which is an interesting passage because oftentimes we hear that as like, and it is a difficult passage, and scholars are all over the place on what it means. Because it sounds like, kill them with kindness. But if you kill them with kindness, the very next verse says, do not, overcome e do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So kill them with kindness. If I want them dead and being kind, that doesn't work, right? The, 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 the clearest, the one that's the most helpful explanation of this to me is in those days that, 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 that 
Cities would build walls around their, house, their place. And when enemies would come, they would attack. One of the ways that they would fend off the enemies is pouring coals on their head. And by the coals being poured on those enemies' heads, what would those enemies do? They would turn around and go a different direction. It is my belief that this passage says, when I'm being kind to others, what am I doing? I'm doing things that would cause them to turn. To turn in their hostility towards me, to turn in their hostility towards God and others, that they would turn and that they would repent. And I do that because I'm doing what? I'm overcoming evil with good. In our passage this morning, our passage is all about grace. That we live as grace-shaped sacrifices, that we live as grace-shaped servants, and that we live as grace-shaped sufferers. And as we walk into 2020, that we would allow God's grace to shape us. That we would be continually transformed by God's grace. That we would live with open hands and open hearts ready to receive all that God wants to give us, but also willing to give to God all that He asks of us. That we would be grace, grace-shaped people, grace-shaped individuals, and a grace-shaped church. And the reason we would do all of this is for God's glory. Because of what He has done for us in Christ, that we would say thank you to Him by living as grace-shaped people, as a grace-shaped church, all to His glory. And so this morning, as I pray, I just want to encourage you to examine your own life. And is grace a chief characteristic in your life? As a sacrifice for others, as a servant to others, as a sufferer who am not about getting even but giving grace, what does your life look like? And this morning, if you are hearing these things and they're new to you and you're like, this whole idea of grace is blowing me away, I want to encourage you to, we would love to talk with you about the grace of Jesus Christ that rescues us from our sins and transforms us. I rejoice in Justin's, transfer, Justin's transformation and his testimony this morning of what God has done, that if you're a believer in Christ, we all have that testimony. We were lost, but we've been found. And being found by God's grace, he seeks to transform us. Caterpillars to butterflies, dead people to live people, selfish to living for Christ. That that's who we'd be. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that you've given to us in Christ. We thank new life that you want to manifest in and through us. The Lord, that we would be sacrifices, that living sacrifices who are being transformed, that we would be servants who aren't thinking about ourselves, but we have a right understanding of ourselves, that we are sinners or image bearers, but also that we are born again believers who have great hope. God, help us this morning to live lives of grace, to receive the grace that you've given to us and then give it to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.